Good morning again. Uh, this morning we are incredibly blessed to have a speaker, well, much better than me, so you, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but we have uh, Jonathan Stoner with us this morning and his wife, Laura. And Jonathan is a filmmaker. He's worked in TV and uh, movies. He has also uh, worked with missions organizations overseas. He is uh, just like moments away from being a master of divinity so that's like big deal way better than divinity yeah wrap your mind around that so he uh, has mastered the divine so I'm he'll, he'll probably share all of that with you this morning um, he is involved in a lot of uh, social work uh, social activism uh, in the LA area he is you're becoming an Episcopal uh, priest right is that right is that the is that the proper Episcopal priest, so he's on the ordination track, I guess you, you would say, uh, towards um, becoming, I think it's one of those, the wearing the really tall hats, right? Um, something like that. They will now call him the young pope. Yeah, no, no I'm just kidding. That's a different one. Um, what else? He, he kind of does a little bit of it all. Um, he will be, after he graduates from Fuller, you'll be working at a trauma, uh, a trauma center at a hospital. Um, Oh, Providence Holy Cross um, as a chaplain there. Um, so just an amazing uh, person uh, and just incredibly grateful to be able to have his voice share uh, with you guys this morning. So uh, give him and Laura a big Mission Hills welcome. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm going to adjust the microphone really quick because I'm a little taller than that. Go up any higher. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Okay. You guys, um, I've just been really impressed just so far this morning with just like how much like a family this place feels and just how warm and welcome everybody is. Um, I'm also really honored to have been, I think, mistaken for Science Mike this morning, <laughs> which I will uh, always remember. Um, so uh, this morning, my title of my sermon, as you can see in this really pretty picture behind me, is like trees replanted in Eden, putting down our, route, our roots near the, near the rivers of life. And if you guys would pray with me, um, I'll start us off. Loving God, would you give us such a vision for our lives and such an assurance of your love and power that we may ever hold fast to the glorious hope which is ours in Jesus Christ our Lord. Give us courage to hope and to risk disappointment as we step out in faith to follow you, our Good Shepherd wherever you lead. Teach us to pray expectantly, and when our prayers seem to fail, give us the resilience to keep storming the gates of heaven again and again until we hear from you. For you are our God, and you promise to act on behalf of those who love you. Amen. All right.
right, so this morning I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 1, which is one of my favorite psalms. And the reading comes from the New Living Translation. So it might be slightly different than what you're reading up there, but the gist is the same, so just roll with it. <laughs> um, here it goes. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. I'm going to actually hold the mic. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but Psalm 1 is a great introduction to the entire book of the Psalms. And... As I mentioned before, the Psalms is like my favorite book in the entire Bible. Um, throughout the last four years of seminary, when, I, when my brain was fried, when my heart was running on fumes, when I couldn't even like form coherent sentences, when I didn't know how to pray, I would go to the Psalms, and the Psalms would give me language for my prayers. In a nutshell, this Psalm that is only six verses long gives us a picture of what all the Psalms are about. The first line of the first verse, Oh, the joys of those who, which is sometimes translated as, Blessed is the one who, which was, I think, in that translation that we had up on the screen, is this interpretive key that helps us unlock the meaning of the psalm, as well as the entire Psalter. In a sense, every psalm gives us this picture of the good life, what it means to be happy, what it means to be blessed. And I don't know if you guys saw those pictures of President Obama recently when he was on vacation in the Virgin Islands. Anybody see those? When he was paragliding and he was like off the back of a boat and he just had this huge smile on his face. And um, that's kind of what I think of now whenever I read this psalm and I read about the joys of those who delight themselves in the Lord. I just picture his face and how happy and carefree he looks. And I think it's that same level of joy that this psalm is talking about. It's the joy of those who steer clear of evil and who delight in God's word, chewing on scripture day and night. Psalm 1 is a picture of the good life, the blessed life. But Psalm 1 also gives us this clear contrast between the path of the godly on the one hand and the path of the wicked on the other. Now stick with me because I know we're not used to talking in these terms very often these days, especially using the word wicked. For those of us living in the postmodern world, this stark black and white contrast between good and bad, light and dark, hope and despair, it might not be what we're used to, but it helps us to prepare to engage with the rest of the Psalms that follow. And it, it focuses on these two paths through life. The very and there's very different results from following either one of these paths, and, but they're presented to us again and again in the Psalms that follow. What happens to us as we become students of the Psalms is that we will be changed, we will be challenged to embrace our eternal calling. By choosing the way of openness to God's instruction, this everlasting way that leads to happiness and abundant life, 
Look, even if you forget everything else I say today, and you guys have heard a lot of things this morning already, so, but if you forget anything el everything else I've said, I truly hope that you will all be inspired to become students of the Psalms. And why would I wish for that? Because our hearts and minds are shaped and formed by what we meditate on. And I am convinced that the Psalms, of all of the written word that we have in the history of the human race, I believe, I believe that the Psalms are some of the best writing that we can ever meditate on. The way our hearts and minds are shaped by what we meditate on is precisely why the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As my college philosophy professor used to say, we as a people are shaped by what we love. We are formed by what we contemplate, what we worship, what we adore, what we spend our time on. All of this has the capacity to shape our hearts and to transform our minds without us hardly even being aware of it. The liturgies, the rituals, a church service like we're participating in this morning, all these things shape us. Other things that shape us in our lives, podcasts. I'm a big fan of podcasts. Anybody else love podcasts in here? All right, a few of you. Uh, watching sports, anybody? More than that, come on. <laughs> Everybody's like, no, it's not me. I don't watch sports. Uh, going to the movies. Okay, all right. S you used to? Nice. Yeah. Social media. Anybody spend time on social media? Okay, everybody, mostly, a lot of people. Uh, shopping at the mall. Online mall. <laughs> all these things can be just as soul-shaping as reading the Bible or attending a church service like we're doing right now. In Psalm 1, we are told that those who meditate on God's law are blessed. Now, the word translated here as meditate is this intensely physical and auditory word in Hebrew. Meditating in scripture, it looks like muttering, whispering, turning the words over and over and over on your tongue, repeating the words over and over in your mind and heart until they take root, like well-watered green saplings with healthy roots planted deep on good, rich soil that will produce delicious fruit someday. The word for meditate in this passage appears in many places in scripture. The prophet Isaiah uses it to describe the growling sound that a lion makes as it hungrily clutches its prey. It's also used for the sound of the doves as they coo in the early morning hours. In other Psalms, the word is used as a synonym for speaking. And in Psalm 143, it means to remember and to contemplate. To understand the aim of meditation in Psalm 1, we must first turn to Joshua chapter 1 in the Old Testament, where the Lord instructs the people, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to do everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do.
Now here's what's really interesting. Neuroscientists will tell us that the reason why what we meditate on matters is because of how our brain works in terms of the way both negative and positive experiences imprint on our psyches. The research shows that we can essentially transform the pathways in our minds through meditation and contemplation. Think about that. It's crazy. It's awesome. Here's what I find so fascinating. Negativity and negative experiences imprint on us almost immediately. It's basically like a snap of the fingers. Boom. Something negative happens to you, and it sticks in your brain like super glue. Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> yeah, I see some hands. But when it comes to positive experiences around all that Paul tells us to think on, those things that are true, those things that are noble, those things that are right, those things that are pure, those things that are lovely, those things that are admirable, those things that are excellent or praiseworthy, that requires time. They say it takes at least 15 seconds or more of contemplation for those positive things that happen in our lives to actually imprint on our brains and our hearts. So it actually requires a little bit of work on our part for the positive things to change us. I think the, old, I think the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament understood this timeless truth, that what we meditate on changes us. And that's why we have all these admonitions in the Bible, from, jo from Moses to Joshua to David, Isaiah, Paul, among others, to meditate on God's word day and night. In Psalm 1, the psalmist is describing a person who slowly savors the words of the Torah 24-7. Think about that lion again, hungrily clutching its prey when you think about like that kind of hunger for the Bible. This is a person who feasts on and is both sustained and transformed by the word of God, as if it is real food. Now, describing it like this might remind you of Christ's encounter with the devil in the Gospels, where Jesus quotes the ancient words of Deuteronomy, and when the devil was trying to get him to break his fast. Anybody remember this story? Yeah. Here's the thing. Jesus knows the scriptures. He knows where the path of giving into temptation leads. And he replies, people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For Jesus, the word of God is real food for the soul. And it not only helps him to see the path of righteousness, but it gives him the desire to walk along that path. The truth of this text really came alive for me this past year um, over Memorial Day weekend when my mom sent me this picture of my grandparents' graves who both served in World War II. As I was rem reminiscing about my grandma and my grandfather who died before I was born, I was mindful of the strength and courage that they had and the way that they selflessly sacrificed they along with millions of others of their generation for their children and their grandchildren who weren't even born yet. I couldn't help thinking about how, how young they were, way younger than I am now, when they left the comfort of home, friends, family, safety, and they went off to serve a cause greater than, than themselves. But more than that, I found myself thinking about their legacy of faith. Maybe I'm biased, but I am convinced that the writer of Psalm 1 had people like my grandparents in mind 
when the psalmist wrote, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. My grandmother meditated on the words of scripture day and night. I can still picture her in her little chair in her room where she would just be sitting hunched over her Bible reading all the time. And she was also a woman of prayer. The faded cover and the wrinkled pages of her Bible testify to the fact that it was really well-loved. And everybody who knew my grandmother felt well-loved too. That was just the quality that she had. From what my mother tells me, the same is true of my grandfather. They left this legacy of joyous faith for their kids, grandkids, and their community of faith. When I picture my grandparents in my mind's eye, I see them like those trees planted by streams of water that we read about in Psalm 1, or like the thriving trees we read about in Jeremiah 17, where the prophet echoes the words of Psalm 1. Here's what he says. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, the woman who sticks with God. They're like trees replanted in Eden. That's where the title of the sermon comes from. Putting down roots near the rivers. Never a worry through the hottest of summers. Never dropping a leaf. Serene and calm through droughts. Bearing fresh fruit in every season. I love that. My grandparents were, st were still producing this delicious fruit even in old age. Never dropping a leaf. They were vital and green on the outside, even though their bodies were weathered and wrinkled, just like their Bibles. And I am convinced that after their time on this earth, they were replanted in Eden, a garden like we've never seen, where they are now flourishing and will continue to do so forever and ever. As I looked at the photo of their graves, I was reminded of one of my favorite movies. Has anybody here seen uh, Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. I was reminded of that movie when I looked at this picture, and I was thinking of the scene at the end of the movie where the title character, as an old man, he's standing right um, in front of the grave of a soldier that helped save his life in the war. And as he is surrounded by all of his adult children and his grandchildren, he implores his wife. And he looks at her and he says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. He wants to know that somehow he had lived a good enough life to justify the sacrifices that allowed him to enjoy everything that we're supposed to enjoy in this life. As the end grows closer, I think we all want to stop and take stock of our lives and be reassured that we've lived a good life. There is this sense, even among those who don't subscribe to a particular faith, that our lives are not our own and we might have something to answer for or someone to answer to for what we've done in this life. Today, maybe you find yourself asking a similar question like the one that Private Ryan asks in the film, wondering if what you're doing with your life is worth the sacrifices that were made on your behalf before you were even born. Maybe like me, you wonder, will it be said of you that you were someone who delighted in the law of the Lord? that you feasted on it day and night, 
I know that's not true of me yet. I want it to be. That you walked the path of righteousness all the days of your life. Will any of us here be remembered as those mighty trees planted along God's riverbank who bore fruit each season that sustained our sisters and brothers in this human family of ours while on this earth? Personally, I long to be vital and green like my grandparents were. I want to prosper in all I do for God and for my neighbors. But there is this part of me that has always feared sharing the fate of the wicked. My deepest fear was that my life would be worthless chaff, that would be blown away by the wind, just scattered. In Psalm 1, the deeply rooted person is compared to a well-watered, leafy green tree, and it's contrasted with useless chaff. Now, most of us probably don't use the word chaff very often. We're probably not very familiar with it in our context because we're not farmers like our ancestors were. But the word chaff pops up over and over again in the scriptures. Basically, chaff imagery in scripture is about this complete lack of rootedness of the lives of the wicked, likening them to dust in the wind, like that famous song, that will quickly pass away, never to be seen or heard from again. In the ancient Near East, lives that were lived apart from God were seen as empty, sterile, and worthless as chaff. Throughout the Old Testament prophetic books and on into the Gospels, the imagery of winnowing, the ancient method for separating heads of grain from the chaff and for removing hungry insects from the stored grain, it's used again and again as this metaphor for judgment. The imagery would have been intimately familiar to the psalmist audience who watched every harvest season as grain was threshed and winnowed and chaff and all the in insects were scattered to the wind. The message of Psalm 1 is that if we persist in wickedness, there is no question in the psalmist's mind what awaits us. We will be discarded like chaff and pesky insects that are thrown to the wind. I'm going to read this verse 4 one more time. The wicked are like worthless chaff scattered to the wind. The shortness of this verse reinforces how fleeting the lives of the wicked are. But here's the problem. The word wicked. Anybody here use that word very often? When I, <laughs> okay, we got one person. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, when I think of the word wicked, I think of the Broadway musical. Has anybody seen that in here? <laughs> That's what I always think of when I hear wicked. It's, but it's such a strong word, right? When you think of it up, apart from the Broadway musical, wicked is a really strong word. So here is a helpful definition from C.S. Lewis that I think might help us understand what I think the psalmist is getting at. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce, which is his book about the afterlife, he says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. I'll say it one more time. <laughs> there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Lewis makes it so simple there are two paths through life. One was humbly modeled by Christ, of consistently saying to God, 
let your kingdom come and let your will be done in my life. The other option, less desirable in my opinion, is the path of the wicked, which left to ourselves, I think most of us would probably choose on a daily basis. And simply this path is basically saying, my will be done. What I want goes. My will, my desires, that's what matters. Uh, that's what's of most importance. I call this the Frank Sinatra path of without apology saying, I did it my way. Right now, we have a lot of examples of this in our country. You guys can probably think of some, from the highest person in the land to the lowest. These two paths were often at the forefront of my mind when I lived in Michigan. That's where I grew up. And my wife and I lived there for a time because we both went to college in Michigan. We lived across the street from the cemetery where my grandparents were buried. And I loved this cemetery because it was my favorite place to go running in the morning. Um, something about cemeteries has always been really calming for me. Just, it's, they've never been scary to me. They've always been this like very peaceful place. So I just love to like run through the cemetery and clear my head and think about my life and pray and do whatever else. So one of the things I would do as I was running through the graveyard is I would go past the gravestones and I would like try to like the ones that were big enough to read as I was running by, I would like read the names and I would sound the, out their names in my head and then I would read the descriptions underneath some of the gravestones. And I would always wonder like, who were these people? How did they live their lives? What kind of stories are told about them? What is their legacy? Which always brought me to this question. What will be written on my tombstone after I'm gone? The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard writes, we are all of us never ceasing spiritual beings with a unique eternal calling to count for good in God's great universe. My grandmother was a devout woman of deep faith. And I believe that her faith-filled prayers as she sat hunched over her Bible sustained our family through some of the darkest storms of our lives. She was one who delighted in the law of the Lord. She, she loved God's word. And she joyfully embraced her eternal calling to count for good in God's great universe. To me, she was the embodiment of Psalm 1. On her gravestone, the epitaph reads, Jesus led me all the way. Those who knew my grandmother I think everybody who knew my grandmother saw her as someone who walked the path of righteousness, somebody who loved God and was a friend of God. And I don't know what that looks like day to day, but I think it looks like what my Uncle John said at my grandmother's funeral. My uncle is built like a really sturdy oak tree, so just picture someone who's like taller than me and wider than me, and you kind of get the picture. Holding her Bible aloft, my Uncle John said, she showed us the way. This book is the torch that lights our path. Meditate on the words of this book. Follow in her footsteps. Let God's word guide your way. I'll never forget that, just that, that moment. And my uncle's not really an eloquent guy, but that moment, he really, he nailed it. With God's help, I'm really hoping that I'll be able to follow in my grandmother's footsteps of giving my life for a vision greater than the American dream. And I hope that everybody here 
everybody I'm looking at, all you guys. I hope that all of you will be able to give your lives for a cause much bigger than the American dream too. But every day we're, we're faced with this choice between two paths. The path of my will be done or the path of thy will be done. So take that with you. But it's such a battle, isn't it? I want my way every time. Just ask my wife. I want my way like every single day. <laughs> I think, isn't that what we want as humans, right? We want our, we want, we want our own way. Um, but I think to hold on to that drive to live a life that counts, clinging to that hope that we are doing what we are put on earth to do, I think that's also inside of us too. And my hope for everybody here today is that we would never lose sight of this truth, that all of us, every single one of you here, are never-ceasing spiritual beings with a unique eternal calling to count for good in God's great universe. All of you. Psalm 1 teaches us that when we meditate on the Word of God, we are literally stepping into the story of the God who leads God's people from the hopelessness of bone-dry deserts towards a glorious future we read about in the book of Revelation. A future where we are rooted forever like leafy green trees by a river that's teeming with life. It's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I love that language in Revelation. For now, though, by meditating on God's word day and night and allowing it to shape us and form us, we get this foretaste of what awaits us as our roots go deep, as we draw spiritual nourishment from the life-giving water of God's word. And I think the result is, is that we will bear much fruit as we mature as Christ's disciples. In this way, we will become more and more and more like Jesus in our character. Be able to resist the path of my will be done that leads to destruction and be able to stand against evil and be used by God to transform this world. That's my hope for everybody. I have a prayer that I'm going to pray over you guys to close it out if that's okay. I can, can I invite you guys just to stand and, and just receive the prayer? May you be the blessed ones who trust in God so that you will be like trees replanted in Eden, putting down your roots near the rivers of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, never a worry through the hottest summers, never dropping a leaf, serene and calm through droughts, and bearing fresh fruit in every season of your lives. May you be ones of whom it is said, they trust in God completely. As you meditate on God's word, my prayer for you is that your roots would reach down deep into the streams of abundant life-giving water there, allowing you to bear fresh fruit for the weary travelers who come to you for shelter from the daytime heat and a hiding place from the storms and rain. May you be luxurious in branches and fruit as you draw from the ample water of God's word and God's spirit. By God's grace, may you always be in blossom that you would keep growing sturdy branches, growing high, reaching into the clouds, your branches filling the horizon 
so that everyone can see the wondrous work God has done. And may the people who see you exclaim, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen. Amen. Sing us out. Every blessing you pour out on, turn back to when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. And blessed be the Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name. 